So my name is Dan Broyles. I'm a pastor at Valencia Hills Church. I, our church is one mile from Magic Mountain. So uh, my family is Magic Mountain out. My boys said, do you want passes again? I'm like, no. Uh, when you're that close, like another roller coaster, no thank you. So uh, I'm just thrilled to be here as we just continue to talk through marriage stuff and trust stuff and all, communication stuff, all, all that good stuff. And let me pray for us and we'll uh, jump in. So God, thank you for your design. Thanks for designing marriage. I pray for the marriages here that are just doing great, that you would just continue to protect them. I pray for the ones that are, are kind of in the roommate style. You would uh, stir things for good and closeness. And for those that are really struggling, you would uh, bring hope. And we love you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So I love this place. I love being here because I actually, just a couple years ago, was a high schooler here. Just a couple, <laughs> just a couple years ago. Uh, I actually, yeah, 2017. Right. Uh, and I met my wife on the way to Hume Lake, actually when I was 15. So she was, uh, I think, 14, I was 15, and that's how we met on the way here and started dating months later, and she's really the only person I ever dated, and then got married in 2021. So uh, I have a lot of appreciation for Hume, and uh, we went to, we've done a lot of things up here and just love being here, and I'm just thrilled you guys are here just to get away. Anybody here relieved to be away from their kids? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, you're like, I don't care what we do, just... A little space, and then the moms are feeling guilty already just because you raised your hands. We should have a seminar on mom guilt, but we won't. Uh, so I don't want you to be scared off by the handout. Uh, even when I was talking with, I think, one of the Jasons, I forget which one, over the phone months ago, they're like, this is a little, that's a pretty serious topic, rebuilding trust. Like, okay, so let me just reassure you, rebuilding trust can be on the really, like, light, just small things, and it can be on this real serious things, so how to re rebuild trust. It could be, uh, I'm not really good with details. I have a way of forgetting details. Anybody have that? Any guys? All right. Uh, so it could be that really small things to more medium-sized things to big things. And every couple has times where they're like, ooh, that probably didn't go well. Or for instance, anybody here ever have little things become big things? Only four couples do that. We'll need a seminar on t uh, truth-telling. So we all do. We all do. So how do, even after, like, you get in that little bit of an argument, and you're like, how do you, like, restore that so it's not awkward for the next, like, 48 hours? Where you're like, oh. Hopefully none of you are having that now about Hume Lake, but I hear that even happens at Christian camps. So how do you just rebuild that? Anywhere from those, like, really just small things. We had a little tiff driving up here because one wanted to stop one place for, for lunch and one didn't, to... Uh, or betrayal of trust, and everything kind of in, in between. So we're going to talk about anything in between. So for instance, I remember a story, uh, I have to be careful of my stories because this recorded, uh, that's what I was told before I got here. Uh, there was this uh, lady who said, um, you know, I just want to love my daughter, and it's her 16th birthday. So I got my daughter a puppy, and then my husband exploded, I, you need help him with his anger. And uh, so guess who showed up in my office the next week? The husband. And he goes, I bet you she told me I need help with anger. I'm like, go ahead. And uh, so we're talking. He's like, I bet you she didn't tell you the rest of the story. I'm like, oh, what's that? He goes, I don't know if you know this, but I've been employed for six months. 
And uh, without talking to me, we had no conversation. We are, our, our finances are obviously doing this big time. She uh, went and spent $2,000 on the new puppy. And I was like, oh. And he goes, yes, I was mad. <laughs> yes, I was mad. And trust was broken, right? Trust was really broken in those situations. And, uh, and she had a hard time taking responsibility because she saw this as, I'm just trying to love my 16-year-old. I'm just being a good mom. So trust is broken, and trust happens in all sor sorts of ways. And so we're going to talk about how to rebuild it. And some of these are going to apply not just within a marriage setting, but anybody here have interesting in-laws? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> that, was, that was supposed to be a, just a hmm thought, <laughs> not a... Right? So that you just broke trust right there. <laughs> you just broke trust right there. Yeah, so, uh, but, by the way, I actually live down the street from my in-laws. So I'm like, oh, wow, now you have some compassion for the speaker. Uh, so this is a true story. We bought our house when we were early married on our, our street. We still live there. And then about two years later, all of a sudden, my wife says, um, my, my, my parents are thinking of buying this house right down the street from us. And I love my in-laws. They're great. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. And, and so I said, well, how about I have a talk with them? And she's like, oh. I like tension. She doesn't. It's just, just the way it is. So I've had a private conversation with them. And I said, here's the two conditions I'm going to ask of you if you're going to move down the street from us. And they're like, oh, because they don't like confrontation like I do. And I said to them, I have, I have two favors. The first favor is if you move here, this doesn't, it's not a guarantee we're always going to be here. Oh, oh, and I could just see their wheels going, well, what about grandkids? And, uh, and the second one I said to them is, um, can we not stop by each other's house unannounced? Because I don't want to be Everybody Loves Raymond, if you've seen that show. <laughs> so some um, and they're like, okay, and then late, like the next day my wife, she was purposely not in that conversation. I, I did it without her knowledge, and I broke trust. And then um, <laughs> she goes, I heard you talk to my parents. Yeah, and, and like, we're good now, and, but I'm glad down the road. But it can be, again, those little ways, medium ways, and really big ways, right? Her trust has really been broken. There, there's a relapse, there's an affair, there's pornography, whatever, all those bigger things too. So going to have anything kind of in between. And so we're going to talk about from both perspectives of both, if you feel like someone broke your trust, and um, you actually are the one, yeah, I broke, I'm the one who did that. So, uh, so we're just going to just jump into some themes here and just look at also what God has to say about some of this stuff. And I just think, I just want to reassure you of some things, though. As we talk about restoring trust, I think... Restoring trust is almost always possible if both parties are willing to work on it. There's hope. I've, I have seen couples, I've helped couples, I've, I've been in the midst of it, where it wasn't just like they had a bad, bad day, they like had an affair, got divorced, and then I actually remarried them. So I've done that a couple times. I've had a couple, I think I had two marriages where I was, it was actually a remarriage because trust was, was rebuilt. So it's really possible. So I know that's the more severe end and that's the more serious end, and I never want that. That's agonizing for people. But because of God and what he does, there's a lot of hope. 
God can reconcile relationships even when it feels like it's in the pits and you're like, and I've had people say, you don't know who I'm married to, right? That, that type of thing. And I'm like, all right, all right. But I, I know the person who designed marriage, so uh, we, we can work on this. So uh, my background before pastor's work, I was a social worker for uh, L.A. County. I was the one who took kids out and put them in foster care. So that's where it's kind of like, you jump into the middle of tension. People don't like you when you take their kids. Uh, so I've seen a lot of craziness. You know, when you go in with cops taking kids, you see a lot of crazy stuff. So, but I realize God can give hope even in the midst of crazy stuff that feels really, really, really challenging. So I want to jump into the, uh, this kind of the first theme of what helps restore broken trust. Again, it could be little bit of things. It could be really big things. Uh, and what, one of the very first things is willing to do stuff even if there's vulnerability. Willing to do stuff even if there's vulnerability. So anybody ever had the following situation, whether it's a friend, your spouse, where you open up your heart, you actually kind of like let your guard down, take the mask off, and you share something, and the other person goes, thanks. And you're like, now this is awkward. Right? You would hope the, the relationship would be what? Reciprocal. If you be reciprocal, you're like, I just kind of like admitted stuff that I don't hardly tell anybody, and now you're not doing the same, and it feels really awkward, and now I want to like shut down. Like, this just feels really weird. So th this idea of doing something when it, there's some vulnerability is an absolute necessity to restoring uh, trust. So for instance... Um, let's say, hypothetically, there's a guy in the room who forgot, his, forgot the date of the anniversary. Hypothetically. Please don't raise hands here. Okay, that, that will break more trust. Don't say, oh, my husband. Um, okay, so let's say that happens. Now, let's say the next day, the wife goes and goes, oh, yeah, sorry. Hey, what are we doing for dinner? Any vulnerability there, really? Is there any sense of vulnerability in that, that response? Not much. Any chance that's going to lead to like, oh, we're a little better? No, because there's no vulnerability. He said technically the word sorry. He'll probably show up in my office and say the following, I said sorry, what else does she want? And she goes to her friends and says what? He's so insensitive, he doesn't get it. Right? Because there's no vulnerability at all. But vulnerability takes what? Risk. There's risk. Risk associated with that. And uh, one of the things I have found over and over with meeting with people is this. We want to feel in control. I had someone the other day says, well, I can't be happy unless I'm in control. And I'm thinking, that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why we're talking. So there's risk. So here's, here's like the all-American way. I want great growth. I want restoration of trust with no risk. That's just not reality, though. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I, but I've seen it all the time. I just want you know, him to get over it or her to get over it, but I don't want any risk. So then nothing, everything either uh, gets pushed aside. Anybody here are like professionals at stuffing stuff under the rug? Any professionals in that area? All right. Some of you are like, man, we have like, are, 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 like, I'm I like tripping over rugs in my house. I push so much stuff under it. Yeah, so, but there's no vulnerability. So vulnerability is essential. And I would say 
Christ modeled this. All right, by the way, if those who haven't ever heard me speak, and many of you have never, I like to make it interactive. You'll end up actually talking to your spouse soon, so hopefully you're in a good mood. Some of you are like, I need more coffee. Um, so let, this is an out loud question. What were some of the ways that Christ probably felt vulnerable when he was on the earth? Give it to me, out loud. This is not a rhetorical question. What ways might he felt vulnerable? What? He was on the cross, na- pretty much practically naked on the cross, right? What else would you say he might have felt vulnerable? Yep, yep, absolutely. With interactions with the Pharisees, ready to stone him, people want to kill him. What else? Yep, just think four days in the desert, having nobody there. There's no disciples around saying, hey, can I get you, you know, a to-go box from Hume Lake? <laughs> right? There's no support. What else? Peter's betrayal. Peter's betrayal. Notice that actually when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, all the disciples took off. All of them. Not one of them. That's some serious betrayal of trust there. When they betray, Peter said earlier, I'll be there for you. I got you. I got you. Um, what about just the idea of God himself being a baby? Right? I mean, talk about vulnerability. I can't take care of my own needs. So Jesus didn't come just to give a lecture or information. He modeled vulnerability. And he actually feels that. So um, I would say this is one of the most important kind of building blocks to restoring a sense of trust. So I'm going to, on uh, page, past, uh, page one, not the cover page, next page, I have a scenario here. I promise you, though, this is just stereotypical. I'm, this is not picking on men. There's not, this, there can be, this can go both ways. All right? This is just the way this one story is. So let's say, all right, let's say there's a, um, a wife who catches her husband looking at pornography. And I know the opposite can happen, too, just for illustration's sake. And uh, she goes, what are you going to do about this? Right? Because this, this isn't good for us. It makes me feel like you're comparing me. Whatever. I don't like it at all. What are we going to do? Where, where, how's trust going to be rebuilt in the, the next days to come? Besides, sorry. Right? Because I've had many people say, well, I've said sorry like 10 times, and they're still upset. Right? By the way, that attitude won't help. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, these are just some practical examples of what it would look like. For instance, if he were to say to his wife, all right, I'm going to go like to that men's accountability group or that 12-step group, and I'm going to step into the group, and how awkward, okay, this is not for you guys. This is for the people that didn't come. Okay, let's say for the people that couldn't make it to this mature gathering, they have this issue. How hard it might be for a guy to show up at a group like that at a local church, a 12-step group, a counseling group, whatever. How hard? For other people. What do you think? Notice that the ladies are answering. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, guys, what do you guys think? Hard, right? No guy wakes up on Saturday and goes, oh, I can't wait for that tonight. Hmm. That 12-step group. Yep, yep, yep. Hmm. I'm going to get to meet people who are really awkward, too, and talk about stuff that I don't want anybody else to know on the planet. No, he's going to feel vulnerable, awkward, and he has to admit weakness, and I don't want to do this. And I've had guys say, I'd rather work a 24-hour shift than go show up at something like that. Are you kidding me? But if he's willing to go, I'm willing to do something that's awkward, what does that do to her heart? Oh, 
it softens. He's willing to do something I know he doesn't naturally want to do. No, no guy naturally just wants to do that. But he's willing to do that. That shows he might actually care about what he's done in the marriage. And he might care about who? Me. Right? Another one. Um, number three. Most bad habits don't just happen because of nowhere. There's things. He's willing to look at hurt or pain he experienced even as a boy. Um, here's number four. This is really big. He's willing to look at the shame in his life. Okay, this is just a personal like side note. I really think shame is the greatest deterrent to spiritual growth. Personally, this is the personal opinion of mine. And it's the, it's the topic that no one ever wants to talk about. If we had the title, Come Deal With Your Shame at Hume Lake, <laughs> no one would be here. Right? Are you kidding me? I one time, if you ever want to like fly somewhere and have, anybody here ever get annoyed by the person next to you who wants to talk the whole time? If, if that's ever you, just go on a plane and bring a shame book, set it on your lap, and they won't talk to you. I had it happen. I was actually preparing for a shame talk. I sat there, and they, the person next to me did this. <sighs> of course, but the word shame is actually listed over 100 times in the Bible. And it's actually the first consequence listed after the fall in Genesis 3. And this is Genesis 2. It says, Adam and Eve were both naked and what? Not ashamed. There was no shame. There's sin that occurs, Genesis 3, 7, it says they were both naked. They realized they're naked. The first consequence listed after the sin happened on earth was shame. So shame always leads to greater isolation. Always, always, always. So um, I encourage all of us, God, is there any part of my life that has a shame attached to it? Because it's getting in the way of my relationship with you and with others. And shame doesn't have to be like the pornography thing. Shame can come from other places. One, one of the things I like to do once in a while is I'll show up at some volunteer's house at our church. I'll show up actually at their house unannounced as a pastor. And it's fun for me. <laughs> I don't think it's always fun for everybody else. So once in a while, I'll show up at the house. And uh, like, one, like let's say it's, it's a couple. And the wife opens the door and she looks like this. She opens the door, and I'm like, hi. She has this look of, I'm supposed to be nice, but what are you doing here? <laughs> right? And then uh, and I'll just say, here's just a gift. I just want thanks for volunteering. I try to make it like a 30-second exchange, not like this thing. And then I, I try to go. And then one time, this is a true story, one time she did that thing, and then about 10 feet away, the husband goes, hey, he heard my voice, Dan, come on in. And she had this look of terror. And she looks around at her house. And what was, go- what was she embarrassed about? The mess. And she's like, I'm sorry you didn't come. Ah, it's normally not like this. And, and the husband had a panic look. Ah, you know, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I could have a lot of fun here, but I just need to be nice and not say, do we need to have a moment as a couple? Uh, because the, uh, one of the nice words for shame is embarrassment. Embarrassment, embarrassment. So embar- shame always gets in the way of close relationships. And I guarantee, when I was talking to that couple, that wife, she could not be present in our conversation. Because what is she worried about? The mess. Now, that's a real sh- small version of shame. But there's a lot bigger version. 
but shame always gets in the way of closeness. Um, some other ones. Uh, number eight, he's willing to pray with his wife, even if he feels awkward about praying out loud. Right? I've had guys say, well, I'm not really good at that kind of thing. She's better than I am. All right. But I guarantee if he tries, and even if it feels awkward, ladies, what might that do if he's willing to at least try? What? It softens the heart. It's a softness. I'm willing to do that. Um, or he's willing to even talk about his emotions. He's willing to. Now, the other one, number nine, in this situation, he's willing to give access to his accounts. Let's say it's an email account or get a covenant eyes or one of those things. I'm giving up a sense of control. And again, this can be on all sorts of areas. I'm not just picking on the guys. This could be, I talk to women who literally their first love is, is spending, and it's a betrayal too. So again, this is all different ways. I'm not picking on guys here. This can go both, both, both ways. So um, part of this is in, the, in these situations, you're giving a sense of up control and giving up a sense of power. But here's what's really hard. I don't know a single person on the planet that wakes up in the morning going, Oh, I can't wait to be powerless. <laughs> yeah. No, we can't stand that feeling. We want to kind of reign control, and I want to do the th things the way I want to do it. And that's where our faith is so essential. That's where faith comes in. God, help me give up control and trust you. God, I, wanna, I hope my trust in you is greater than my need for control today. Right? I just think that's really essential. All right, so let's look, look on the other half of this, this scenario. Let's say for the person who has felt a little bit betrayed or some trust has been broken. And again, I'm just using this one example as this couple I'm talking about. What would it be like for her now? She needs vulnerability too. And let's say she's been hurt by the pornography thing. She needs actually vulnerability too. And I, I've had some ladies when I say this to it, and I actually had one lady say, don't talk to me that way. Because she's like, vulnerability is a swear word. Because vulnerability in her mind equals what? Hurt. Right? And I don't want ever to feel hurt again. So this is what's really hard, is some ways that she needs to have some vulnerability. So like number two, she seeks to be continually vulnerable in her prayer life regarding her insecurities and her fears. Sometimes when people are hurt, and I see this kind of in the counseling setting, is I get hurt over here, so I'm putting up all my walls and all my relationships, including God. I don't recommend that. So even that one friend she might trust, or with God, or let's say she has a close relationship with her sister, all of a sudden, because she's hurt and betrayed in this relationship, all the walls go up in all these other relationships just to try to gain a sense of control. But I guarantee that that's like, in about five years, she's going to be a really bitter person. Behind bitterness is hurt all the time. I've seen it over and over. Um, she doesn't, number three, she does not see the concept of trusting her husband as all or nothing, but a gradual approach that is dependent on his trustworthiness. In the, in the Bible, there's all these one another's. You know, there's the love one another, care for one another, pray for another. There's not trust one another. There's not trust one another. Uh, so if I ever want to have a fun conversation, my, my definition of fun equals awkward for others. Uh, I'll say, hey, can we just talk about how much we trust each other? And all of a sudden, like, actually, how about we work on your anxiety first? Uh, <laughs> right? Because that's really delicate. I might trust you in one area, but not, not, not in another. A uh, couple of others here. Uh, 
She's uh, number seven. She's willing to look at her heart in regards to possible resentment or revenge. Uh, when she's sitting in church, she doesn't numb herself to the Holy Spirit. She's actually willing to get help even if he's not getting help. She's willing to re- get help. Again, I've had women say, it's not fair. Well, he did this thing. So, like, I'm not getting help until he, he does. I'm like, and so I say, I'll say to her, I'm like, I have a lot of compassion for you because you're giving him all the power for your move. You're giving him all the power. So one of my, this is a personal prayer of mine, just a personal prayer is, God, I want your love for me to affect my mood more than any person on the planet. I actually want your love for me to affect me even more than my wife's mood or my kid's mood. I have two teenage boys, 17 and 14. They have their ups and downs. They can be a little moody. My wife has her normal ups and downs like everybody else. But I want your love to affect me more than that. Because what, what happens when you give someone else all the power over your mood? What do you think happens? Give me some out loud words for, you know, maybe some of your relatives who have this problem. Angry? What else? Can we get some more words? Bitterness. Bitterness. Keep going. This is great. What else? Mad. What? Mad. Mad. Irritated. Sad. Sad. Yep. It, it, it actually requires, what happens when you give all this, everybody else more, all this power, you actually have what I would call more of an emotional roller coaster. And then little things become really irritating. You ever had something, little things become really irritating? Like, why is that bothering me? By the way, here's a real quick tool with that. Have you heard of the acronym HALT? HALT? Okay, it's a really good acronym, um, and it stands for this. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. By the way, never talk about a job change when you have all four. All right, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I've had couples go, let's try to solve that, and we have both all that going on. And let's talk about our finances. And then you're like, what just happened? We went from we're okay to kaboom. Right? Part of that is, is some awareness to go, this is not a good time because of some of that stuff. Okay, let's do this. Uh, I would like you now to take about 60 seconds, talk to your spouse about what's been going on in your brain in the last 20 minutes or so. And hopefully it's not like what's for lunch. Okay, hopefully it's a little deeper. And by the way, don't do this. I hope you got that second point he said. <laughs> That's not vulnerable at all. All right, try to be gentle here. Be gracious and gentle. Don't go, man, I wish you would have known this a year ago. All right, that's not going to help. All right, go break chat. Be relational with your spouse at a marriage conference.
All right, come on back. I like to pick a few people's brains. I'm looking for like two or three people to actually share out loud what you've been thinking, not what your spouse has been thinking. All right, I don't want to have to start a rebuilding trust in this, in this <laughs> seminar. All right, two or three people, random thoughts, real loud. Right. So struggle to not bring past stuff into the current. I mean, there's the trust and the hurt. I had lot, the hurts I've had for these three weeks are just yep. Right. Yeah, you sound normal. <laughs> we all bring our previous relational dynamics, whether it's a previous marriage, with our own parents, dating situations. We all bring relational stuff with us of habits, of how quick do I trust. So, um, Again, there's, there's a lot of things you can do to be vulnerable even in that situation. So I'll, I'll um, once in a while, I'll say to my wife, I'll say the following. She'll say something, I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm accurate or not, but I'm about to assume that was a criticism, was it? <laughs> and she's like, actually, no, I was just venting out loud. Right? But I, if I went to a conclusion, I try to be a little more vulnerable and say, ah, and I try to be curious. By the way, one of the healthiest signs of a marriage is ongoing relational curiosity. So in that situation, I could have assumed what? Like, why are you talking to me that way? What's the deal? Do you need more coffee? Like, whatever I could say to her. But, but there's no curiosity in that. All right, uh, another person, random thought. What have you been thinking the last 20 minutes or so? Y'all were chatting, so I know there's stuff out there. Another person, doesn't mind, just a random thought. Yes, really loud, please. That's great. That's great. Well, and one of the, the vulnerability is one of the great ingredients to prevent a roommate marriage. I see more and more roommate marriages. They're coping, they're paying the bills, but I wouldn't say there's a like, oh, I love being with them. And there's some a little bit of affection or all that stuff. One of the Differences between a roommate marriage and a healthy marriage is um, talking about each other's internal worlds. It could be, I'm discouraged about this. I'm annoyed about this. I, here, here's something on my bucket list I just added. I think God's doing this in me, or I'm insecure about this, right? All that stuff that you would never probably talk about at work, you actually talk about with this one person exclusively your spouse. Okay, one more random person. What have you been thinking? Yes, back there, yes. Oh, halt. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Uh, none right now, which is fantastic. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. That's really good stuff. And, and, and being sensitive to that with your, our spouse, even to acknowledge that. Sometimes our spouse maybe has a little bit of a tone or attitude that has nothing to do with you. Really. It really sometimes it's really, my kids call it, oh, you're, hang, you're hangry. Right? They're just hangry. Right? And uh, that's just the way, the way it is sometimes. 
another, I want to switch over to another tool to notice. And this is not in the, the, the handout. It's actually a phrase that I really like. It's called the bid for connection. Bid for connection. This is uh, um, a, a great phrase that um, the Gottmans came up with this one. And they, they use it all the time in marriage talks. And I just really think it's fantastic. And what happens is our spouse bids for our connection all the time. And sometimes we don't notice it. And they're really subtle to really, like, obvious. So it could be a hug goodbye. It could be, can I tell you about my day? It could be, hey, can I tell you about something with the kids? It could be, can I use your help? To, one more serious thing, I really need you to be there for me. To sex, it's a bid for connection. All those are bids. What happens is, sometimes we stop noticing the bids. We stop noticing. It's really easy to do. We're busy, we're tired. Anybody ever tired lately? Like the workload, all that. I just want to like zone out, right? If they're like, I've had some people say, if I'm really honest, I'd rather just zone out than talk to my spouse about stuff, Right? So my wife, is a, she's a labor and delivery nurse. Um, and so sometimes she has interesting stories. And sometimes her stories are unique. <laughs> so once in a while, she'll uh, say something like this. You know, there's this woman who, like, wanted to, like, take her placenta and use it for a shake and da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Can you pass the green beans? <laughs> We're sitting there at dinner. <laughs> and do you think I really care about this one woman and this story? No. Like, uh, I'm, I'm like, can we, can we even talk about the kids? You know, no. So, however, it's not about that. But what is she doing? She's what? Bidding for my connection. And the story is actually secondary. The story is secondary. The reason I listened to her tell me the story about this woman who wants to turn a placenta into a shake, which is okay. <laughs> the reason I really want to listen attentively is not because I'm interested in the topic, it's because who's telling me the topic. Just, it really is. It's about who's telling me the topic. Because what happens, and I've seen this a lot, this is really dangerous, is if I stop showing interest, and I, and I do the role model, I go, Really? You really think I want to hear about that after a long day? If I give any of that tone, what eventually happens to when she has interesting stories at work? She stops. She stops sharing. She stops sharing altogether. Um, and then that just leads to, the, again, that roommate feeling of like, we cope, we're in the same house, same roof, but we stop sharing. And then this is where it gets really dangerous. This is, this is about marriage prevention stuff right here. What happens is if, let's say, I continually be annoyed by her sharing work stories. And I've seen this other way. I had a, a coworker one time who's like, my husband works in IT, and he want to talk, t tells me about engineering designs. And she's like, I don't even know half the words you're telling me. And we talked about this bid for connection, and she's like, really? I have to try to see that as a bid? I'm like, yep. But here's why. Here's why it's so essential to not just because I'm interested in the topic, but I, about the person I love, is if, if I tell my wife, if I roll my eyes, get annoyed, can I say, can you move around can I, so I can watch the Laker game? 
or whatever it is, what will happen, she'll stop bidding with me, and eventually she starts bidding with someone else. I've seen it. That's how affairs, emotional affairs start. Is what happens is, then she's now working with a, a, a guy, a co-worker, and, and she goes, can I tell you a story? And he goes, sure, what, what's that about? And he shows a lot of interest, and he's like, tell me more. And it's not some crazy sexual thing. It's not some, like, out this crazy movie scene. But what happens is she's getting her emotional needs now met where? At work. Met at work. And it started out so, so, so. But it didn't start at work. It started with me being annoyed by the story she was telling me. And so she stopped bidding for my connection. You can see how easy that happens. This happens so easily, especially when work, command, work demands and kid stuff and there's COVID problems and now you have to work from home so it's more complicated and there's stressors and all that stuff and you stop bidding. Um, it's just really, really important. One of the great things about the, the Christian faith is Christ gets us. You're not alone in what you face. Christ gets us. On page uh, four of the handout, page four, if you're a perfectionist, I'm sorry, I will be jumping around in your packet. Um, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He gets what it means to be tempted. He gets what it means to really struggle. So just, he understands even if you've been really hurt. So just a few phrases here. Jesus understands giving kindness and receiving betrayal. He gets being rejected. He gets asking God to remove pain and having his request denied. He gets feeling alone in the midst of great pain. He gets what it feels like to be misunderstood, to be insulted, abused. He understands the experience of caring, of people caring about him only if he meets their expectations. I have a, a situation recently where the guy told me my wife would divorce me in a second if I lost my job because she cares only about what? The money, Right? Um, and then he understands feeling abandoned. Just when he's on the cross, he uses that famous phrase, why, why have you what? Forsaken. Some translations could say, why, why have you abandoned? So for any of the room who's like, yeah, I know you're talking about some small illustrations, but some of the stuff is pretty heavy, he gets it. And the, here's the crazy thing about Christ. He actually chose to do this stuff out of love for you and I. He actually entered into this stuff. A lot of stuff that we've encountered, we didn't choose to enter into that. We don't want to be hurt or have a parent walk out of us, out of us when we were a kid or a spouse have an emotional affair or whatever things that can happen. But he actually chose, I'm going to enter into that out of love for you and I. Which just is my, it's just mind-boggling to think of that type of love. That just kind of goes kind of beyond this world, to be honest. All right, uh, go to the very next page, number page five. I apologize. I should have said, like, Change the title of this. Some of you are like, by the way, no one else is thinking that you had an affair because you're on this page in this seminar at Ham Lake. Okay, I apologize. I should have just said trust in general. This actually came out of a booklet I had wrote, so that's what the title is for. So 
Just think of this, how to repair um, trust um, in general. So th- here's some top things to say to your spouse. And they have to be done with, been, with sincerity and I, honestly you have to be like really genuine about it. Uh, I know I've hurt you and I don't understand the magnitude of the pain that you feel. So let's say, um, let's say you have a, a wife in the room who probably cares more about her mom's opinion than her husband's. And that feels like a break of trust. Like, it's like I'm, I'm not that important. It feels that way. And if she were to go to him, he goes, yeah, I know. I probably should do better at that. I know. I jump every time my mom says something. Versus she goes, you know what? I've wronged you. I've hurt you. And I've actually made you feel less than you are. I need to, I'm going to get work on I'm going to work on this. That's really different than that, sorry, Merry Christmas again, you know, when the, they come over and I do exactly what she wants versus I'm willing to look at the pain I've caused. Again, being curious. Um, here, this is really important, this third bullet. Please take as much time, this is something you can say to the person you may be hurt a little bit or a lot. Please take as much time as you need to heal from my betrayal of trust. Anybody who ever demands or pressures trust will make it worse. Pressuring trust always makes it worse. So, um, so let's say you have a, 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 a woman who, like that scenario I mentioned with a work scenario, who started flirting with a, a coworker. It doesn't lead to a physical affair, but I would call it more of an emotional affair. All right, um, and he finds out somehow because they were texting, so he's upset. Um, she, I hope she would approach him and say, I want you to take as much time as you want to trust me. I'm not going to demand that a bit. Because demanding trust actually delays the healing process every time. You can never demand trust. Um, the fourth one, I'm willing to listen to your pain, and I want to understand your pain, especially without being defensive. This is, by the way, this, 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 this point can cause so much healing. If I'm willing to listen to pain I've got. So let's go back to the illustration with the, the wife who um, is more, who had the emotional affair. If she looks at him and goes, can I just hear what's going on with you and I won't be defensive? And then after he faints, um, right, or, you know, versus, you know, I did that because you weren't there for me. Or, or that was six months ago. When are you going to get over that? By the way, that type of statement is like, is, is, is like kicking someone when they're down, right? Oh, that, that was a year ago. Why are you still upset about that? Right? that? That phrase will just make it worse. Or even the phrase this, can you just get over that? That phrase always makes it worse because it feels like it's minimizing the pain. I know that's not the intent. The intent is I just want some peace in the house, please. Can I just have some peace? But how it's felt is it's minimizing what you went through. And it really causes things to um, get, get worse. Now, go to the next page. Um, things not to say. This is page six. I've actually heard all of these in my office. That's why I wrote them down. Um, it's been a month. I said I was sorry, but you still seem so emotional. Ugh. Um, I'll listen to you if you say things that are rational, right? 
If you forgive me, why do you still have questions about what happened? By the way, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Forgiveness, I'm sorry, forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. All right, I might forgive somebody but not still trust them. But it happens, that gets really confusing in marriages and families. Well, I thought you forgave me. Right? Because let's say that that husband checks the wife's phone six months later after the emotional affair. And she goes, what's that all about? I thought you said you forgave me a month ago. And he goes, I did, but I still don't trust you. Because forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street. And we have to, even the Bible, they're they're different, um, really different, different categories. Um, Last couple, couple things I want to think about now as we kind of wrap up here. Page 11. Page 11, one of the essential ingredients also for restoring trust is humility. Right? Humility is essential, and that comes from, I think, our time with God. Um, for anybody who's in Christ, this is your identity. This is your identity. Um, can I get uh, somebody's first name here? Somebody in his room, just to say your first name. Shay? All right, so Shay... Um, I've had people re- read this page and they put their name in where it says I. And this, again, helps us remind of who we are. My, where's my identity? So Shay is God's child. Shay is a friend of Jesus Christ. Um, the Romans, the middle page, middle page. Shay is free from condemnation. Shay is assured that God works all things in all circumstances. Shay um, is complete in Christ. Shay, what's it like to hear all that stuff? What? Feels good. Feels good. So here, here's a theme I kind of want to end with, and then you'll talk with each other just a tiny bit more. Our identity always affects our activity. Our identity always affects our activity. In the New Testament, Paul will often give these, like in Colossians, Ephesians, he'll give these phrases like, be humble, compassionate, and he'll list off these attributes that are all good things. But near the passage, he always talks about identity. So because you are in Christ, because you have been chosen and wanted by Christ, and he lists off all these phrases. So I hope you don't walk out here going, okay, I just need to be a better spouse. I need to be a better spouse. Our identity always affects our activity. So, so this typically, if for anybody who's a Christian, they would probably agree with this page. But I would say it's in concept only. Most people don't wake up going, oh, I'm so loved by God today. That's so good. Hmm. Now, most Christians would agree with that statement, but it's a concept, not an identity. So anybody here, for instance, ever have like one regret in your past? Anybody? Yes. Two people. Okay. All right. Some of you should have regrets for not raising your hand right there. No. We all have something like, ooh, I wish I could, right? So let's say you're driving down the street and that random regret pops up in your brain, hypothetically, once a year. <laughs> it just pops up. Remember when I was 25 and I, whatever, right? If, if this type of stuff is part of not just a concept but our identity, that thing pops up in our brain, our very next thought would be the following. Oh, isn't it great that that's forgiven? Hmm, this is a good day. But that's not how real world works, is it? I hardly know anybody that has that type of what I would say internal way of being. What happens is, what happens, again, for other people as they drive through for the next 10, 20 minutes? 
What's that going on? What goes on in their mood for other people? Shame, depression, right? Self-beat up, road rage. Now all of a sudden every car is annoying or every light takes forever because I'm so impatient. What happens is this idea of identity in Christ is just a, a concept. I, I call it the traffic jam between the head and the heart. It was a traffic jam. Like we know these things, but it's not affecting me when I drive to work or pick up my kids or whatever I'm doing. And so I encourage you, as you think about marriage stuff this weekend, don't just think about what to do, but who God sees me as who I am. He, his love for you is greater than any mistake you ever have made or could make or will make. His, the tank is greater. His grace of tank, it's greater. Right? And, you know, Romans 8.1, for there's no condemnation for what? Those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. He doesn't want to live, us to live in condemnation, but really in gratefulness for what he's done for us. Okay, let's take two minutes now. Two minutes now. What I want you to do, hopefully uh, your spouse is in an okay mood. If not, you can think about God's love. Some of you are like, I'm going to try to try that. Uh, it's fun watching your nonverbals up here a little bit. Uh, what I want you to do now is just talk about what's one thing you want to remember from this past hour. One thing for yourself, not for him, her. One thing you want to remember for yourself from this page, from one of the scriptures, a story, whatever. What's one thing you want to remember for yourself? Whoever talked least last time, you go first this time. All right, go break chat. Get to be relational again. All right, come on back. Sorry I'm interrupting. Some of you might have more chatting to do at lunch later. Uh, a couple things as we wrap up. Uh, we won't get to it, but on page 7 and page 10 in the handout are actual prayers. Uh, that it's sometimes it's helpful to put words to things, of walking in humility, um, prayers of some confession of how I use power in a relationship. It's just helpful to put words to things sometimes. 
So feel free to glance at that um, later. Uh, I, I, also, my emails here, if anybody has a question about something here, um, I love just kind of this stuff and just, uh, I'm just so glad you guys are here working on this stuff. All right, uh, two people, out loud, what's one thing you want to remember for yourself, not him or her? Two people. What? Listen better. Uh, here's a sign of a really good listener. When they're talking, I'm not thinking about what to say. That's a sign of a good listener. Because I'm actually absorbing what they say. I'm not going, well, uh, right? I'm actually thinking about their um, words, not about a rebuttal or my point and all that stuff. Yep. By the way, the more sensitive the conversation, the slower you should talk. It's a, the more delicate the conversation, there needs to be pauses between your phrase and their phrase. But usually what happens with delicate conversations, you speed up and it amps up. That's how arguments start like that. I was like, how do we go from talking to arguing? It's part, sometimes it's the speed of the words. All right, one more person. Random thought. What stood out? Yeah. yeah. Be less, defensive. less defensive. Yes. Yeah, I think that's so, so uh, essential. I, I, real quick, quick, quick story. One time I asked my wife, I said to her, Hey, you know, I'm trying to work on, like, just life in general. Can, in the next week or so, can you write down, like, four or five of my blind spots? Because I want to work on stuff. Any area of life. It's n don't hold back. And she's like, I don't need a week. <laughs> and I had to not to be defensive right there. I'm like, it shouldn't be that obvious. All right, you guys have been great. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go, from, go on from here. God, thank you. Thanks for your love. God, I thank you that your love is greater than our sin. Your grace is greater. Uh, thank you that you chose to experience these things because you love us. I pray just uh, you'll protect our minds from blaming, protect our minds from just becoming numb, protect our minds from uh, doing the easy thing but help us seek you and your righteousness. In Christ's name, amen.